0: Welcome to Guns, Knives, and Lipstick, the podcast where four female crime fiction authors explore the delights, disasters, and demands of the publishing journey and chat with those who share that journey with us. We're your hosts, Carrie Peresta, C.L. Tolbert, Mally Becker, and Liz Miller. Join us as we chat with some of our favorite authors and go behind the scenes of their writing lives. So let's get to it, shall we? Welcome everybody to this episode of Guns, Knives, and Lipstick. Our guest today is Catherine Fast. Um, Catherine is an award-winning author of over 25 short and flash fiction stories. She was a former contributing editor and compositor for six anthologies of New England crime stories. The Drinking Gourd is her debut novel. In her prior corporate career, she worked with, MI, with an MIT spin-off consulting pr- companies and with an international training firm and as a professional handwriting analyst. She and her husband live in Massachusetts. Welcome, Kat.
1: Welcome. Welcome, So glad you could join us today, Kat. Nice to meet you. Hi, Kat. Hi there.
0: I totally butchered that bio reading. My cold reading is just bad. (laughs) So, now to start off then, Easy one. How would you describe this book and its themes in a couple of sentences, like your elevator pitch?
2: What's
0: the elevator pitch?
2: I have my elevator pitch right here. (laughs) Okay, after serving 10 years in prison for dealing cocaine, a crime she swears she didn't commit, Casey Cavendish returns to the small college town of Oberlin, Ohio, determined to clear her name, finish her interrupted college degree, and build a new life. Her arrival coincides with an upsurge and drugs on campus. When her erstwhile friend, best friend, Jules, who married Casey's old love while she was in prison, is found dead from an overdose of cocaine and alcohol in the cellar of the Drinking Gourd, an antebellum Inn, Bellum Inn, on the outskirts of town, Casey graduates from pariah to the prime suspect for, suspect for murder. She must discover who betrayed her before she's railroaded for a second time and this time for murder. Ooh. Yeah. Well,
1: what I, I, is the drinking gourd? Is that yeah, a bar? I was gonna it say,
2: a... much of the action takes place in the drinking gourd. It's an inn that's named after a song that helped guide fugitive slaves on their journey north to freedom during abolition. Uh, the gourd, which is a building, the fictional building that I've created uh, it's once a safe house on the Underground Railroad, now serves as a restaurant and a local watering hole. It's far from safe. So, is this a real
0: <laughs> business you created, or I
2: mean, or is the idea
1: real and you made up the business?
2: I made it up. Ah. So, where is that, the
1: setting? What state is it in?
2: It's a. It's in the town of Oberlin, Ohio, the little college town. Okay. Okay.
1: I have to congratulate you on your
3: world building as well. It's, I haven't been able to read the entire book, but I read the first four chapters and was just uh, hooked. And we're just wonderful at world building. And I just love the characters as well. Oh, thank Very you. enjoyable.
4: I, I really enjoyed the, the book as well. And I, I urge anybody out there interested in a, a good, fast-paced mystery to pick it up. But but Kat, um, you had told us that you grew up uh, and went to Oberlin College, and and here you've set your first novel in Oberlin. Have you have you heard from any old friends or or anyone who knows Oberlin
2: like you do? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. Oh, but yeah, I uh, you know I've sent sent the inf- information on to my high school um friends many of them who went on to Oberlin and a couple of them got back to me and said hey there isn't any David in here and you know that kind of thing (laughs) um it's it's um almost scarily autobiographical I mean I've done most everything that Casey does except for go to prison um but I thought I could I thought I thought I, I thought I could name the town of Oberlin Ohio because now I'm like 800 miles away my second book, uh, which is, you know, you'll hear about more, I'm sure, I've, I've placed in a uh, Welton, Massachusetts, which clever readers will figure as a combination of Wellesley and Weston. Uh, yeah. And I figure, you know, I can, I'm safe from Overland people, but I have to live here in Weston, so i like it'll setting books in
3: college towns college towns are great places for for murder mystery i
2: think Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, so uh, before we started the re- recording you were telling us a, a wonderful story about you go- admitting yourself to Oberlin college carrie uh, carrie Car- might not have heard this tell us this story again uh, okay
2: um well I grew up with my grandmother. Uh, My family had broken up and whatever, and um, we didn't have any money. So anytime I wanted to do anything, I had to have a job. And I had an afternoon job uh, in the admissions office at Oberlin College uh, so I could make money for violin lessons. And uh, so one day when I was a, I guess I was a junior, in uh, high school, the director of admissions came out and asked me where I was going to college. And I said, can't afford it, Bob. We called each other in the 60s. We called each other by their first names, even if they're adults. And uh, he walked away and sort of shook his head. And he came back in about an hour, hour later, he said, and I, I was writing, I was using this, what we called a flexor writer machine. And I was writing all the, Uh, admissions letters to these students. he said, write yourself a a letter, admit yourself to college. (laughs) I said, Bob, I can't afford it. Uh, And so he walked away and came back in another hour and he said, give yourself financial aid. (laughs) Okay. then I was all set. So I gave myself financial aid, admitted myself to college. And then he came back and he said, but you cannot live at home. You won't get the real college experience. You have to live in a dorm. So, give yourself a board job. Oh, okay. Gave myself a board job and I was all set. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs>
0: Easiest college admission ever.
1: Oh, I love, love it.
0: I yeah. love college people that are just story. the
1: slightest bit crooked like that. That they can just, I just, what an advantage working in the admissions office. Oh, yeah. That was just the right guy at the right time. Yeah. That's well, so
2: fun. He also knew what my high school record was and stuff so Mm
1: -hmm.
2: that's a wonderful story
1: that's hilarious (laughs) it's all it's all
0: about i hope nobody comes
1: after you after all these years i think
0: think the the statute of limitations has expired on that one i I, I I really do i think we're good um so so we're talking about the drinking
2: board what inspired you to write this book
0: like what was your your inspiration for (sighs) that
2: There were a number of things that um, that I found intriguing. One, we uh, as townies, we could go to all kinds of concerts that the college had, uh, which is another benefit. You could use their courts, you could use their swimming pool, you could do all kinds of things. But Pete Seeger would come to Oberlin a lot, and he'd uh, sing to the children, and uh, he sang this. He and the Weavers sang this wonderful song, "Follow the Drinking Gourd." It's really a haunting melody. The song, as the story goes, the song was used by fugitive slaves uh, to follow the drinking gourd, and they called the Big Dipper the drinking gourd because the stars in the bowl of the gourd itself pointed to the North Star and freedom. All right, so they could follow this drinking gourd ah, toward north. And uh, Oberlin was also a... a, uh, a big station on the Underground Railroad. So that was all in my history there. And also, <laughs> my house had, uh, I lived in an old my house, story. my grandmother's house. And it had great hidey places in the cellar. Just great hidey places. And a friend of mine and I formed the Bloody Cat's Eyes Club down there in an old coal bin. And that's in the story, yeah. The
1: Bloody Cat's Eyes Club?
2: Yeah, it is, yeah. Nice mm-hmm. visual. How old were how old were you when you formed the Bloody Cat's Eyes Club? I think around 10 or 11. <laughs> 10 or 11. Perfect. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, when, what did you learn about the time period or the place or the issues in your book uh, that you described? Um, what What surprised you the most?
2: Well, since it's so... Autobiographical, I wasn't too surprised. Um, but one thing that I didn't know anything about was cocaine. We had a lot of marijuana and stuff like that in college. I, I grew up, I graduated in the 60s. Um, but I didn't know anything about cocaine. So I had to do some research there. So that's about all that surprised me.
4: So, so when was it all on the computer, or did you go knocking on your local police department door to ask them about it?
2: Cocaine. Oh, uh, how did I do that? I did talk to the Oberlin police. I talked to the, excuse me, Welton police, the Weston police. Um, I think I also wanted to find out how, how big drops were made, you know, cocaine drops so I went on the computer for that yeah so when is this set is this a
0: contemporary like set in the now or is it set no it's set
2: in 1974 okay so you know if if I had made it a couple years if I'd made it 72 it could qualify as historical almost 50 years you know Mm -hmm. that's right We, we
0: don't talk about that that rule of thumb because that means next year i'm historical and i don't want to be historical yet
2: oh yeah well i went to my 50th high school <laughs> a long time ago so. but,
4: but there's another great advantage to setting a mystery in the 70s there were no cell phones yes
3: yeah i think that's an advantage exactly.
2: however uh there are also no computers so um mm-hmm. not until the 80s uh did we really get start getting all those wonderful mm-hmm. apple computers well i just
4: but also I-
0: but also a disadvantage, because I'm working on the fourth home front book right now, and I desperately need one character to get a message to the other character, but they're both in the field. So how do you do that? <laughs> carrier pigeon. <laughs> yeah, carrier pigeon. That might work. <laughs> I might have to resolve to carrier pigeon. I'm not sure. Um, so you have a professional background as a handwriting expert, right? I do. So, how did that play into uh, the drinking?
2: Well, um, the protagonist, Casey Cavendish, studied um, when she was in prison. She took correspondence courses, and this is before before you actually meet her uh, in the in this story. But she took correspondence courses, and also took uh, takes a course in the book. She. Try, needs to understand a couple characters, so she uses handwriting analysis for that. And at one point, she actually forges something. Yeah. Okay. So that, you know, she steps over the line. The line isn't working very well for her. You know, she's about to get railroaded to go to prison, and her brother's in trouble, and her lover's in trouble, so she creates a, a handy dandy little suicide note to help out.
1: So did the police, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, you go. Carrie. I was just gonna say, so did you use that in your story as, as a way for the police to identify her personality or that she might be a potential criminal or whatever, or was lying or something?
2: Uh, Casey actually f- used, wrote a note as some, Jules, her erstwhile best friend, a mm-hmm. note. so she, She actually represented herself as somebody else. She forged it, and her handwriting looked just like, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. and she knew how to do that, because she knew what to, what to do.
0: So this kind of kind of ties into like the next question. So they can a graphologist can do that. Then they can look at somebody's handwriting and say, oh, this person had a suicidal intent. This person, like you're the the characteristics of your handwriting, not just the words you put on the page.
2: Yeah, well, if you think about it, your hand is dumb. You know, it doesn't know anything about writing. So hand, handwriting is really brain writing. Your brain tells your hand what to do. And the state right. of your brain is what the, hand, the graphologist looks at. Mm-hmm. So there are all kinds of traits in your writing that represent your state of mind and things about your personality.
3: Name of few. Go ahead.
2: Oh, okay. There are all kinds. Let's say, just take a look at any handwriting. Um, uh, Is it carved into the page? Well, that pressure means something. Does it slant far right? Far left? Up? Down? Is it all scribbly? Is it tangled? Is it neat? Is it too neat? Uh, are there angry little ticks and dicks and things in it? Are what well, how about the loops? What do the loops tell you? Well, yeah, oh.
1: I want I want you to stop and tell us what all those things mean. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think, think that's fascinating.
2: I think it's a movie course mean? in
0: graphology. Go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I do have a course in graphology. It's called Graphology the Fast Way. Uh I've taught it around in uh what do you call it, course, not correspondence, in in uh, adult education classes. I taught it at Regis College. Uh, taught it in my adult, edu- uh, my Council on Aging. Um, so it's, uh, it's something people are fascinated by. A lot of people don't believe it. They'll say, oh, my handwriting has changed. Oh, no. It's changed so much. And they think that means it's But if your handwriting hadn't changed, you'd be a case in arrested development. All right. So as you develop, so does your writing. And people say, Oh, my handwriting is so messy now. Oh, well, your hand is probably moving. Your brain is moving faster than your hand is. And you're probably writing something to yourself that you can recognize. But the minute you write something to somebody else, so nice and neat it can get neater you write to Mm -hmm. your mother-in-law that handwriting may look different than if you write to your lover or if you write to a child all it's how your mind is working while you're writing
3: i was interested in the character uh, martha who was a very messy person in the book and casey um knew that she was a very very messy person of course and she talked to her handwriting instructor about the neatness of Martha's handwriting. Yeah. She was confused by that. And the instructor said, well, she's hiding something. Oh, and yes. then she, tra- she traced these funnels down the page. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested in the funnels because you just said, hey, and the handwriting instructor just said, um, well, that's not good. And then so, <laughs> that's just intriguing to me. You know, Why are the funnels, what do oh. the
4: funnels reveal? Oh mm-hmm. my goodness.
2: And what so, is like, a funnel?
1: What's
2: a funnel? When you look at a a piece of a page of writing, sometimes you can see these empty lines that look like chutes and ladders that sort of weave through the writing. And it just means people are stopping and starting. There's resistance. There's something going on. Uh, There's some tension. Uh, Very often, it means anger. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, by the way, that writing that was too perfect Writing that's really, really copybook, you know, like the way you were taught to write. Oh. Absolutely, absolutely perfect. Takes a long time to do. It's mm-hmm. it's hard to do absolutely perfectly. And it's usually a persona, what we call a persona writing. Um, that person is putting on a performance. They don't want you to see their regular handwriting because their regular mm. handwriting probably so that- screw
3: That leads to my next question. Is that intentional?
2: Oh, yes. Is it okay? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely intentional.
1: What does it mean when you have a sample of handwriting, but then there are doodles on the side?
2: (laughs) Oh, do you think that person might have been distracted a little bit? Um, And it depends on the doodles. You can tell from artwork. You can tell. I mean, I actually did an article once about different works of art and there are angular works of art and then there are um arcade works of art things that are um billowy and there and then there are thready lines i mean all of those types of patterns mean something in graphology hmm. yeah hmm. Uh, did i i don't know if i just answered that question right.
1: that's that's just interesting i always draw hearts i draw the same thing i'm making notes on something and then i stop and draw a little heart
2: so with, i wonder what you're thinking you're thinking about something else or, I don't know. or yeah. i'm thinking i love this
0: <laughs> i'm not sure not that's sure
2: a, then that's a clue i huh. the reason i got by the way the reason i got involved with handwriting is that uh as a child when i was six and seven um our family broke up. My father was mentally ill. He was, uh, like manic depressive, which I guess you now call bipolar. Um, and he was violent and alcoholic and everything. But he was also the fabulous, fabulous, wonderful man when mm-hmm. he when he was good. He was really, really good. Manic he was It yeah. was horrid.
3: Yeah.
2: So we moved. We had to move out for our safety, and we moved to Ohio, from Maryland. And I was the only one who wrote to him. His name was never mentioned in our house after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I, would, I would get letters from him, and I could tell from the letters if he was really crazy, you know, manic, off the mm-hmm. wall, crazy, because they'd have little unicorns aha, uh-huh, in the corners. and I mean, that's a big clue. You uh, <laughs> could also tell when he was just almost not there at all. He was so... And one of your questions was about depression. Yes, he was very, very depressed. Um and And what does the writing look like if it's depressed? Um uh, well, very often it has light pressure and it's going downhill. It looks like it okay. has no energy. Sometimes it just means somebody's really, really tired. <laughs> but if that's a long pattern,
4: mm-hmm.
2: you know, you see it over and over and over again, then you say, Well, something's not right here. Um, I had a a very dear friend, Annika, uh, and I looked at her handwriting and over a couple of letters. I was in the West Coast and she was here in Massachusetts. I got a couple letters from her and I said, "Damn, she's she's really depressed." And so I wrote a letter to her, you know, saying, "You got to get help for this. You got to get some magic pills, something. You know, you're you're really depressed." But uh, it was too little, too late, and she hung herself in the basement. Oh, wow. oh, oh my! Oh Her ten-year-old son found her. Found. You
1: know, it was horrible. That's another book right there. Oh, That's, <laughs> <that> would be. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's terrible. Yeah. It is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it could be. It it's could a
1: tragedy. Be.
2: Oh, it, it was awful, and I, I'm still haunted by that because you wonder if you could have done something. But my handwriting mentor, who by the way is Barbara Roman, in the book. um mm uh is um said there's no way that you could tell you can't tell what the inciting incident's going to be for mm-hmm. a crime for, by the way or for suicide you don't know what's going to push somebody over the edge yeah cuz that's outside you know that's an outside influence
4: is there such a thing as um a handwriting that belongs to sociopath can you tell tell someone um, that's seriously off or dangerous from handwriting
2: yes you can tell a lot Uh, you can never predict handwriting doesn't predict behavior it describes personality and if you have a whole host of really nasty characteristics traits in your writing that gives you a pretty good clue that you could do something that's pretty awful um what in your some... article, oh, in your
3: article you, you um identified i think four different kinds of i can't remember the um, name of the group who published your, the blog that you wrote your recent article um and but you identified four different handwritings you said one that was a serial killer and i don't i don't think it was ever identified in that article but i was dying to know which one was the serial killer
1: and uh, how i can't remember what, what number i saw it was. that too i saw that too yeah how unfair you needed to tell us who was a serial killer
2: i think i did i think it was c but it uh, the, the rest of them were members of of my writers group <laughs> Uh, but, and but they really, true. they really looked whacked. Uh, but the, the the person that was the serial killer there was Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, and I think it, I think that was it was him. See he. the real little tiny one? Uh, it, yeah, it was very small. It was light. Uh, it showed oh. no empathy whatsoever. Uh, hmm. no, no con- it didn't connect with other people. No connecting to Please. the other letters. Slow down. <laughs> Slow, down. <laughs> Slow down.
4: because because this is audio and we don't have the visual of the handwriting in front of us. So, yeah. so the the words were small and light and and the words and since we're all oh. history you know, writers, we're without, dying to know that.
2: No, but without having without being able to see the handwriting. Uh, you, the description of it could be the description of anybody who had small light handwriting my husband has small light handwriting he also has fast thready writing all right and all of those things can be negative they can also be very positive so any one of these traits can be a positive or a negative if it's carried to extreme all right
4: so you're talking about multiple factors in writing combined that absolutely make a picture for
2: you. Absolutely. One of the things that people went, I worked a lot in um, placement, you know, headhunting. Uh, oh yeah. One of the things that we worked for a lot of banks, they wanted to say, hey, is this person honest? Well, mm-hmm. what's honest? Honest can be a whole host of different things and dishonest, can be a whole host of characteristics. And if you don't have a whole pattern of those, you can't say a person is dishonest. Everybody's dishonest to a little bit and Mm -hmm. situations will make you dishonest, all right? Or trigger a dishonest reaction. Uh, And so if you saw a bunch of these nasty little traits, you would have to say something like, you couldn't call them dishonest. You would say, I sure would look into this person Hmm. very, very carefully. <laughs> yeah, and that would be my clue that you thought, uh-oh, this one, there's something wrong here.
3: And that that leads me to another question. It, whether or not graphology is accepted for personality traits in a court of law. No. I, I, yeah. I understand it would be, it would not be for that, but it would be for um, authenticating a document or something along those lines, but not for the personality traits.
2: Yeah, you've got that because it's interpretive. So Hmm. it's not accepted in a court of law as fact Hmm. because you can't prove it as fact. You can Mm -hmm. say it's empirical and it's based on years and years and years and actually on centuries of experience, but you can't prove it. Um, Whereas question document examination is all measurement. And that is factual. Okay. how deep is the penetration into the paper? Uh, how exactly, what is the angle of the slant and the ratio of this to that to the other thing?
3: But what that carving into the paper means is not acceptable.
2: Right, as a personality trait.
3: As a personality trait. As and you can use it to authenticate.
2: For authentication, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because I could write just like somebody else, but if I don't have the same kind of pressure may not be, may not right. be that person at all. Yeah. And this is also
3: interesting. I have a bad arthritis in my hands. Oh, so yeah. my, my handwriting has changed substantially because of, of that.
2: Right. And,
3: you know, I guess you have to take those kinds of things into account as a person ages, like to authenticate.
2: Right. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you can't, you can't tell age, except for extreme age. Uh, you can't even really tell sex because there are men with feminine-looking writing and women with mannish-looking writing. Uh, you can take a good guess. Um, there, but so there are a number of things that you just you just don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, somebody with Parkinson's, for instance, my brother had Parkinson's in his later years. And yeah. he had such a shake he could barely write his name. Well that's right. That, that definitely shows that change. Yeah, 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 And my handwriting lady, my mentor, she's I can look at her handwriting and say, Oh, damn, she's going downhill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: that happens. That happens. To it, everyone,
2: does. <laughs> it does. Does just, just the fact
4: that um younger let's say millennials and gen zers are hardly writing at all and mostly texting or using a computer has that changed the field at all yeah, or the I'd, analysis
2: i'd starve today <laughs> 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 yeah um people still do write um and usually in unguarded moments, you know, you write yourself a note, but, um, but they, and also there's a lot more printing now. You can you can analyze printing, but it's a lot harder, yeah, because you don't have any, lo- you have three different zones of writing. You've got the upper loops and you've got the middle zone, letters, you know, A, M, N, that kind of stuff. And then you've got the lower zone where you've got the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know. Uh, and uh, those are the lower loops. Well, you don't have lower loops in printing.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, that's true. So it's uh, it's you, it's, you know out. it's really yeah.
0: interesting. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Mally mentions the millennials, and both my children are Gen Zers, and both my children are Gen Zers. My daughter's twenty-two. My son is twenty. They both have such neat handwriting. Huh. Like even my son. You know, it's because it, I was thinking, I'm like, well, is it too perfect? And it's like, no, my son's handwriting isn't perfect, like, it isn't textbook neat, like they scribe in a textbook. But his handwriting, people have mistaken his handwriting for like girls' handwriting because guys don't write that neat, neatly. Um, and they're both so conscious, conscientious when they write. Are they good people? They, um yes and no
2: Uh
0: um it depends on it it, they can be (laughs) and then they can both be extremely rude and thoughtless um i mean you know that kind of like you talk about the writing that you're
2: talking about that looks so conscientious is that something when they're writing to you
0: um it's actually yeah i mean yes when it's writing to me like i'm thinking of when my son was in high school Like, even the the papers he wrote in high school, it was always very clear. When he's writing to other people, his handwriting is very neat and clear. Um, I don't think he writes to his friends. Like, they probably text a lot.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, But when he is deliberately trying to present himself to someone, you know, if it's, it's someone he cares about, someone he loves, someone he wants to make a good impression in front of, his handwriting is very, very neat. And, and my daughter, maybe even the same, you know, and they want to look good Mm -hmm. in front of people when they're writing something like that. They're very, very neat.
3: My kids, interestingly enough, have their dads, very similar handwriting to their dads. And I think they're so much like me and they're just wonderful and everything. And then they have their
0: dads. (laughs) I'm like, where did that come from? Okay, I'd hand- love to show you my father's minute. handwriting. That would be that would be hilarious for you to interpret that
2: because nobody can read it. He's but a lefty. What's your dad's handwriting like? That they His emulate
0: is, well.
3: I don't think they're. I don't see. They didn't grow up with him.
2: Yeah, but so, what? But what is it like that they they must emulate? What is it? I
3: mean, they, they were young when he left, so it's small and neat and um.
2: Oh, okay.
3: And uh, tiny. It's small and rounded. And mm-hmm. very much like my daughter's hearing and my son's is a little messier, but it's still that same in that same sort of ilk. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was interesting. Li- so, mine is much larger and slanted, and
2: uh huh. You're more or, outgoing, probably, and a little bit bigger picture. They're probably a little more concentrated, or oh, extra. maybe so,
3: maybe so, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. so.
2: Interesting. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I, I it may have it.
2: nothing. It may have nothing to do with their father. It just may be their personality.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are both very, very, um, a little more rigid than I am. But.
2: Boy, if they say show eventually that this is all just genetic, I'm cooked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <funny.
0: laughs> so, um, us when, what do you hope so you've got your book out there what do you hope that readers are thinking or feeling when they finish that book when they close the page yeah. what do you want them to be thinking about
2: a couple of things i want them to feel satisfied mostly um they're not going to be jumping up and down with glee because it's not the happiest of endings um it's a good ending but it's not the the dream ending um I want them to be satisfied that Casey is exonerated and vindicated I want them to feel vastly relieved about two issues but I'm not going to tell you what those issues are
0: I got to read the book
2: That'd well, be a spoiler <laughs> alert you know I can't tell you why they should feel really relieved about a couple things but I want you mm-hmm. I want them to feel that way and I want them to feel eager to read the next one She's gonna go north to freedom for herself, you know. And uh, I want you to follow her. It's a little bit
4: of a reacher, a lee child ending. You know, she's she's off to the next place and the next adventure.
2: And oh, that's right. He always walks on, doesn't he?
4: Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't stay.
2: <laughs> he well, doesn't stay. well now I've gotta think up something for the third book and I haven't dreamt it up yet, so maybe I'll have her walk on some other way. Yeah maybe she'll go south you guys could tell me about that i don't know yeah, I haven't figured you out the third one yet yeah
0: so so tell us what are you working on right now
2: well i'm doing edits um uh, for the second one which uh is tentatively called church street under um
0: church street under
2: yeah yeah okay that's a little train station and it's under It has a, there are some big tunnels and cool things, yeah.
3: You're a very good Uh, world builder. I can't wait for the next one.
2: (laughs) Well, Casey ventures north uh, to her freedom at the very end of this last book. And um, she's going there to meet the man that she suspects is her biological father. But she finds herself just totally embroiled by this whacked family, uh, much more than she bargained for, um, seriously dysfunctional Irish-American family, which gets rather dangerous and, yeah. So it's fun. I don't have any handwriting in it, uh, just a tiny bit of handwriting in it. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe I better go back to handwriting for the third one since it seems to fascinate people. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, it
1: is is your, it, but it's your main character. I'm sorry. I have not had time to dig into your book, but is the main character a handwriting an analyst? Well, she, she
2: studied it. She hasn't done it for a living. Okay. Okay. But that's so that's a big part of her,
1: what yeah. that she knows and what she uses Yeah, as well, she goes good. her way.
2: It's something that she knows. Um, yeah. yeah. She doesn't particularly use it that much in this the second book. Uh, yeah, the I love that,
1: though. That makes for an interesting character. They always have to have some little something that yeah. pulls people in that fascinates them. And that would be um, a hook for me. You yeah. know, I'd want to see, yeah, what she does with this. and And what if she stumbles over I don't know, this great man who's just so charming and wonderful, but she gets a
2: look at his handwriting. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that is how she uses it in this book. okay. There you go. Oh, wow. Screening
0: tool.
1: Yeah, I love I I love that. I might I might use some handwriting analysis
2: now.
0: I, am uh, sorry, before, before I agree to a second date, you must give me a handwriting sample. <laughs>
2: <laughs> An I event a, statement. I had a thing in the local yes. newspaper, which was called check them out first. Right? <laughs> oh. So check them out before you get really that involved with them. But there's a real problem with that. And that is if somebody is already involved, they really don't want to hear negative things about that person. They and learn the uh, hard way. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's very difficult to give them. You know, say, this guy is a psychopath. You know, you just don't want anything to do with them, and they're they're they head over heels, right? well you that's what think. they do.
1: That's what psychopaths do. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Are there overt handwriting signals and triggers that you find with with men or women or anybody that's that screwed up? Is it
2: very obvious in their handwriting? Well, yeah <laughs> uh overt it depends on what you're looking for um uh, how do i answer that i mean or do they try to
1: hide it you know they're experts they're chameleons. Like
2: ted, ted bundy has a oh a nice flowing beautiful he's a charming man and his handwriting is charming except for these lead-in things these lead-in strokes that have hooks on them uh but other than that you know you would look at that. Uh, you can identify mean strokes mean ill-tempered strokes oh yeah ill-tempered sure
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so, so it's
0: not it's not really just i mean it's not really like oh proof this guy's a psychopath it's more like Based on the characteristics of his handwriting, I would ask further questions about yeah. this or that or things She's that like, just make you. Yeah, you could say,
2: Uh oh. Uh oh. Signs
0: say
4: angry,
2: ill-tempered, rigid. You know, yeah, this person really doesn't look very <laughs> flexible. You know, you know, since he's writing with a ruler underneath his, you know, uh, yeah. like that, there
3: right? There you go. There you go. Yeah.
2: yeah. So uh, the other thing that I found was very true when I was teaching classes, when somebody would bring in a handwriting and they'd wait until after class and they'd bring it up to you and they'd show it to you and they'd say, what can you say about this person? They were never, almost ever looking for positive traits. They wanted the dirt. (laughs) They really wanted the dirt, so. That's interesting, sometimes you want the good stuff and sometimes you want the dirt and what you're willing to listen to um, is interesting. That's also interesting that one of your questions that I think you said earlier was what's the likelihood a public defender or a public investigator would consult an analyst? Yeah. Uh, They would consult, it's very situational. Uh, If you've got a ransom note, you wanna know as much as you can about that note, anything. Anything you can tell them is valuable. Uh, signature verification again. Um, blackmail, yep. Yeah. Uh, I've worked on threat letters, um, which is in. That's a very that was a very interesting case. I don't know if I have time to tell you about that, but well, no, no, we've got we've got I'd some love time here
3: about the blackmail. Yeah.
2: Well, the threat was um, from a high school, and there was. Uh, written I think it was in lipstick on the bathroom girls' bathroom wall something about how he you, you're gonna all die the next day or so and so is gonna die the next day uh, some dreadful message I'm trying to remember the message I shouldn't remember that but you, of course you have no you know what can you you can say something about the writing but how can you identify that person so the only thing that we could do is say, to the administration and to the teachers and also from some of the other students, who do you think might be the most likely people who might have written this? And then you get samples of their writing and see if you can match it, all right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't get the right, you don't even get their writing because that's they're not in the sample, so you have no match. But other times you can nail them. So So it's
0: not something, you know, to go back to something Cindy asked earlier, it's not something that you can take into court and say quantitatively, oh, this person is that
2: person, but it's
0: definitely a tool that an investigator could use to drive them in the right direction.
2: Right. That's interesting. Yeah, it's really, and as I would say as a headhunter, um, here's what I'd say as a graphologist, here's what I'd say by looking at their qualifications, but, you know, both of these things are tools, you know.
3: Right, right. And right. they're if subject to interpretation. Yeah, you can that, yeah. You use it in ransom notes too. And somehow this, um John Benet, John Benet Ramsey cave comes to mind, and the, the notes they found there. Um, and they never could find the uh,
2: yeah.
3: owner of that writing. I don't
2: believe. I don't think so. No. Uh, no, they would have discovered the the, the, yeah. the
0: murderer. Yeah, it seems like every time they try to find something in that case, they were they were wrong. And don't... Yeah. Oh, oh,
2: that...
1: hmm.
2: not Yeah. So interesting. Oh, the other, another application yeah. well, that was funny and that was interesting was jury selection. Oh, oh. yeah, oh, I was wow. wondering about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the the, the only evidence that we had only you know um written evidence we had was when they fill out these forms when they come in for the jury right and they their name and what their employment was and everything but the lawyers could get hold of that they'd make copies of it and we would get it and they would say who is going to be the most empathetic Mm. jury uh Person. What
3: a great idea. I wish I had you in my life earlier. <laughs> That's a great say this, idea.
2: Let's say you had a um, somebody who committed some sort of crime uh, under the influence. Well, who would be empathetic to that?
1: Mm-hmm. They would
2: understand how you could have a little too much to drink. Well, you'd look for muddiness and signs of addiction and things like that in the juror's handwriting, potential mm-hmm. juror's handwriting. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't look for somebody who is very vertical and playing by the rules and very, um, very strict baseline, uh, and signs of inflexibility. You'd want somebody who is very flexible. Yeah, could consider which it. would be curly and fluffy. No, not necessarily. But at least it wouldn't be rigid and straight up and down and uh, controlled. Yeah, you, you... But it could be. It could be more of a flowing. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? uh-huh. When you say curly, usually I think of uh, loops and anytime I have loops I've got imagination. Sometimes you can have imagination in places you shouldn't have imagination. <laughs> like <laughs> online late at night. So, yeah. um, <laughs> no, like in the stem of your Ds. You're t- oh. not you're trained to have a straightened straight down D stem. Uh-huh. Not a loop in it, right? You got a big loop in that, man.
3: Okay. You're a lot probably... of people put loops. I
2: them. have a big loop in my D. I'm just well, what's <laughs> What's the matter with the loop in your D? <laughs> <laughs> what's
1: the matter? Imagination can be good or it can be bad. Yeah. So if we have big loops in our Ds, our imaginations, our writers' imaginations. It looks
2: like people with that are, are really concerned about their appearance. Oh, Huh. And what other people say about their pen, And if you have a loop in your T-stem, they're worried about what people think about your ideas. Huh. Interesting. I mean, I mean that's those, you would have more traits. You don't just do things on one trait. Mm. That, I mean, okay, so I'm thinking
0: about my handwriting and what you're telling me, and I don't really care what people think about me at
2: all.
1: <laughs> and I don't care what they think about my ideas. My handwriting is really messy.
2: Oh yeah. No. When I wanna,
1: when I want to be legible and be appropriate and proper, I print. Hmm. it's kind of a printing. Yeah. With a little bit of writing to connect the yeah. letters. It's called print it's, script. Yeah. My yeah. handwriting is all over the place, and it. But you know, interesting from what you've said. I, I'm gonna be watching
2: my, thinking about what I'm thinking about when I'm writing this. Yeah, writing, yeah, and yeah. That's be Self-conscious, and it's gonna, you know, when, when I, I'm completely change.
3: I I I remember when my Y's went from a loop at the end, bottom to a straight line, and oh. I don't I I I don't know if that's a good or bad, but it doesn't seem good <laughs> after i talked about.
1: My writer's okay. autograph, you know, I practiced it over and over so it would be consistent because my writing is rarely consistent, but it's all straight up and down, but it's loopy. Oh. It's all straight up and down. And loopy. And, um, yeah. but then I always put a little heart under it. Because oh, I like hearts. You want more
2: attention. <laughs> That's you want what more that is? attention, yeah. I don't look at it that way at all.
1: I don't.
2: I think <laughs> no, I think, I think I'm my, a loving mine. person. Oh, oh, maybe I'm that's it. Maybe, that, maybe you're sending the, the love out to some other people. But very often, when people have little hearts instead of dots for their eyes, they want more attention. Yeah, that's a, well.
1: I put it underneath everything, well, like be- a like a signature. As a-
2: one of the other things that people will say, okay, um, analyze my writing, and they'll they'll give me their signature, and I'll say, no, 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 no. give me a paragraph of your writing. Mm. A paragraph will tell me who you are. Right. But your signature signature is who you want to be because you've practiced that. So interesting. A kid that I helped raise, and his he went. <laughs> it tells you how good I was at, at it. He went to prison for a year. Okay. <laughs> Sorry,
1: that must oh, have been well. very. That was
2: for marijuana, for Christ's sake. You know? Can oh, you believe it? Yeah. They send people. Yeah. To but anyway, um, his writing from prison. He, he had these little. You know, it was little careful writing and stuff. And then his signature was this bang, 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 angular, large, um, William, bang. You know, and that's who he wanted to be. Aggressive. His mm-hmm. writing. His paragraphs was what who he was.
0: Yeah, and see that you know what? That's my son too. Because his well, name is you know, he'll write these beautifully formed paragraphs, but then his signature is just a whole bunch of jagged you know, M and it's all jaggedy.
2: That's it's, called signature incongruity. Yeah, yes.
4: mm.
2: but that's mm. not necessarily bad. I mean, maybe that's a, you know, maybe he's got some ambition there about some things that you know, mm. who knows? Have to yeah. see the rest of it. And by the way, so if you want to know uh, get a good sample of writing. It has to be a clear piece of paper, unlined, and you get them to uh, write. You know, uh, the quick brown red fox jumps over the lazy brown dog. And you know why you have him write that because he uses every letter in the you get
1: all the letters.
2: For those of you who used to take typing tests.
1: Oh, I did. I was yeah, a champ. Um where can people, on Fox, jump stuff, where can people find your um
2: handwriting courses? Do you offer that online or on your no, website? Or? No, 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 no. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm writing and painting now. My my other love is watercolor. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: No, so, but to buy your book, your book is available
2: everywhere, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Wait, so so I want to get into our one last question. And then hopefully this is a, a quick one. What alcoholic beverage pairs best with your book? What red you wine.
2: Think? Red wine. Any
0: particular any kind of red wine or just oh, a particular?
2: A nice smooth cabernet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that goes with every book actually. So do I.
1: Smooth Cabernet.
2: You know, if I have hard liquor or something like that, you know, I won't last. So I like to just sort of sit along with it. Yeah, yeah, I can't do hard liquor
1: either. So
0: where can people find you?
2: Oh, they can Um, find me online at catfast.com, right? And they can find me on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, I'm on Facebook. haven't done anything with it yet because I'm still a Luddite, but Luddite (laughs) but your books can be ordered anywhere at any bookstore
1: I hope so because a lot of people you're with level best right or not Mm -hmm. you are okay well they are (laughs) then they are so people don't know sometimes that Amazon and Barnes and Noble aren't the only options any local bookstore can order your book and a lot of people (laughs) like to support local bookstores so that's a good thing for for your audience
2: to know and it's a good thing for me to know thank you
0: Well, Kat, this has been a great conversation and thank you so much for joining us today. We've uh, all learned a lot about our personalities, I think.
1: Yes. (laughs) Now we're dying to take your course. Better or worse. (laughs) (laughs)
4: All right, everybody. I had a wonderful time. Thank you. This was great. Thank you. All right. Great to meet you. Bye, buddy. Bye.
3: Thanks. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Guns, Knives, and Lipstick. Like what you heard? Subscribe to us wherever you're listening and never miss an episode. And before you go, would you do us a favor? Leave us a rating or review, please? Just like with books, ratings and reviews help other listeners find us and spreads the word. Until we meet next month with a new guest, stay safe, stay well, and above all, ladies, don't forget your lipstick.